We ask, God, as we turn to your word, that you would uh, give us eyes to see and ears that are good to hear and hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive what you would have us receive. Grow within us things that bring you glory, delight, and joy. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing this morning in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Surprise. And we're going to jump over a couple of chapters uh, just for this morning, just for the sake of kind of what connects with where we're at as we've done, as we did back in on Palm Sunday and Good Friday, Holy Thursday, and Easter. But we will uh, scoop back to where we were next week and continue on in uh, Mark. But for this morning, we're in Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Listen closely. This is the word of God. When Jesus, Peter, James, and John, the three of them being his most inner circle, when Jesus, Peter, James, and John came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around the other disciples and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, Rabbi, I brought to you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out that spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. As we've seen in Mark's gospel, this happens every time Jesus encounters an unclean spirit, evil spirit, demon. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Sort of like a pediatrician, just sort of like, and, and how long has he had this condition? From childhood, the father answered, It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us, have mercy on us, and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse then that many said he's dead. But Jesus, as you remember him doing with the little girl, took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and the boy stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Did the man believe or did he not believe? And the answer is yes. Yes. 
I was conversing with someone this past week who mentioned to me that she had recently taken one of those spiritual gifts tests. They're sometimes called tests as if they can be passed or failed, which they can't, I don't think. In reality, they are inventories intended to highlight areas or gifts in which a person may have greater natural or supernatural affinities or areas of functioning. And one of the person, this person's highlighted gifts was, according to the inventory, faith. Faith, which in Greek is the word pistis and which can be translated into English as faith, trust, or belief, depending on the context. Faith. And having notable faith or possessing high amounts of faith is awesome. I thought I celebrated that with her. That is awesome. That is wonderful. We admire those things. We like that. That is good. We admire and appreciate significant faith, lofty faith, certain faith. Faith that is mature, faith that is resolute. We value, we honor, we applaud such things in the church. The Protestant Reformation in the 1500s really highlighted the importance of faith as the scriptures and particularly the Apostle Paul articulate. We human beings are saved by grace through faith. It's essential. It was an essential component of the teaching in the whole movement known as the Protestant Reformation. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, who, as Mark declares, is Messiah and God and Savior by virtue of his atoning death on a sacrifice for our sins. We are saved by grace through the mechanism of faith or the avenue of faith. The scriptures and especially the Apostle Paul really affirm the centrality of this faith, trust, belief. And throughout Mark's gospel and the other gospels, we see Jesus continually pleased when he encounters faith. And faith actually is pretty generic. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is never explicitly the object of faith. He never says, believe in me in Mark's gospel, but he's always implicitly the object of faith. We see this throughout Mark's gospel. Jesus is pleased when he encounters faith and he is not pleased when he encounters unfaith, when he encounters unbelief, when he encounters a lack of trust, doubt. And so what of the father in the ninth chapter of Mark's gospel? Teacher, I brought to you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replies. How long shall I be with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Bring me the boy. So they brought the boy. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered, it's thrown him into the fire. It's thrown him into the water. It's tried to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on him. Help us. If you can, Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who sort of generically believes. So who has faith in this story? Who in this story believes? Who in this story has faith? 
Jesus' disciples, as we see in the beginning and the end, not so much. Not so much. Some, but it's uncertain. The boy, does he have faith, the man's son? Not that Mark tells us. He may have, but he likely didn't. We don't know. Jesus, did Jesus have faith? How odd does Jesus? Yes. Jesus has faith in his father. Jesus believes, announces, declares. Whoever has faith, for them all things is possible. But what about the dad? What about the man? What about him? Did he have faith? Some yes, some no. Some no, some yes. He brings his son to Jesus. Yes, he's in desperation. Yes, he may have no other alternatives. Yes, this is his last ditch effort to help his son. After years of an impure spirit, after years of seizures, and yet the father observes about Jesus' disciples, they couldn't do it. They couldn't drive it out. I've tried everyone. I've tried everything. If they can't, can you? I don't know. But the father doesn't give up. In faith, with faith, through faith, he appeals to Jesus. Since childhood, the spirit has often thrown my son into the water to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And for the sake then of emphasis, as if to shine a light on the father's faith and lack of faith. Jesus replies, if you can, if, if I can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then Jesus drove from the boy the evil spirit, never to return to the boy again. And Jesus heals the boy based not on any faith in him, from him, of the boy. And maybe you've noticed that up to this point in Mark's gospel, Every time Jesus encounters and casts out an evil spirit, it's never based on the faith of the person in whom that spirit dwells. Never, unusually. Never, almost as if that person's faith doesn't have anything to do with this. You remember back in Mark chapter 2, when these friends lower their friend, the paralytic man, through the roof of a house to get close to Jesus. No mention of the faith of the man, but rather the faith of the friends. And yet Jesus heals the man. Faith of the person being healed is not necessarily a prerequisite, unusually, almost surprising to us. Jesus heals this boy based not on an ironclad faith in Jesus or an ironclad faith on behalf of the boy's father, but instead based on the one who acknowledges the presence within himself of both faith and unfaith. The basis, the person with the most faith other than Jesus in this scene is one who declares both faith and an incomplete faith, a lack of faith. Faith and unfaith, both belief and unbelief, both confidence and some uncertainty, both trust and doubt. Oh, yes, Jesus highlights the man's uncertainty if you can, but Jesus doesn't condemn the man for it. Yes, Jesus seems to be a bit disappointed. He's a little frustrated, maybe, maybe a little saddened. You unbelieving generation, how long do I have to hang out with you? How long do I have to put up with this? But also, not just that, but bring the boy to me. Bring me the boy. Jesus is not 
the coach. Jesus is not the coach who throws his clipboard on the field, who throws his headset on the court, who blows a gasket and becomes irate, who stomps around kicking and walking and screaming and throwing things. Jesus doesn't shame the dad. He doesn't do any of that as people in our world do. Instead, he heals the boy. Jesus doesn't need a lot of faith to work with. He doesn't require perfect faith, abundant faith, endless faith, flawless faith. But he does like some faith to work with. Having some help along the way seems to work. But Jesus meets us where we're at. You may remember in chapter 20 of John's gospel, after Jesus' resurrection, most of Jesus' inner circle of disciples, the 11 or so at that point, have seen and been with Jesus, but not yet Thomas. He wasn't there for Jesus' first encounter post-resurrection with the disciples. We don't know where he was. And though the other disciples told Thomas, we've seen Jesus, he's alive, he's walking, talking, eating, laughing, interacting with us. Thomas didn't believe, but instead said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, unless I get to do those things physically, presently, I will not believe. And one has to see, affirm that God appreciates our honesty. God can work with our honesty. The scriptures, and we've seen through Mark, and we see in lots of the rest of the scriptures, are brutally honest, but also graciously honest. And Jesus let Thomas live in that space for a week, eight days, to think about it, to process it, to wonder, to consider. And then a week later, when Jesus' disciples were again together, this time with Thomas with them, Jesus enters and speaks. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Jesus was willing to assist Thomas with his partial belief, with his doubts, with his incomplete belief. And this is how the Lord is in relationships with all of us and all of his people. This is the way he treats us. He wants people to believe and he is patient with those who do not yet believe, with those who struggle with belief, with those who don't have all the answers, with those who have secret doubts, with those who have big doubts, with those who have little doubts. Jesus meets where we're us where we're at with regard to faith. And Jesus calls us at the same time to grow in faith. And being honest about our doubts is often a part of that. Church. I'm meeting with a, a small group of First Pres folks uh, right now weekly, and we're going through a book about apologetics and sort of learning the way of Jesus and explaining and defending what it is we believe, understand what Christianity and the way of Jesus are about. And that author in this week's reading writes, as a teacher at a university, I deal with many, many students who have not been encouraged in their churches to be honest with their questions and doubts. 
Just let that sink in. When they get to the university, they suddenly find themselves faced with people who say, you know these Christians, they don't really know how to think and they don't know the truth. The students are not equipped to think about the issues that come up in that environment. Many churchgoers have been taught not to question what they hear in church and that doubt is a bad thing. Of course, doubt is not our goal. Faith is. But authentic and strong faith comes through wrestling honestly with one's doubts. Elsewhere, that same author recommends that people not only believe their beliefs, but that they also doubt their doubts. And going further, that people doubt their beliefs and believe their doubts. This is how knowledge grows, he writes. This is how knowledge grows. And this is the, one of the things that we strive for in following the Lord Jesus here at First Presbyterian Church is to be continuously cultivating spiritual growth, which means growth in our faith, which involves also interacting with doubts. Therefore, it's important that in the church a person feels free to acknowledge and talk about their doubts they are a good thing to talk about, that author writes. Of course, doubt, again, is not our goal. Doubt is not our goal. Faith is our goal and the goal of the Scriptures and the goal of Jesus. But authentic and strong faith come through wrestling with one's doubts. And that is a part of what happens and is supposed to happen and does happen in what we call confirmation class every year. Young people, eighth graders and others, being invited and encouraged to consider what they believe, to ask honest questions, to dig in and to explore. They are taught and they learn, they ingest vast amounts of information, as you will see if you take the time to read their full statements of faith. And they write these long, 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 well-articulated, thoughtful, profound in some cases, statements each of the students who have been on the platform this morning have done that. Outlining what they affirm, making their public statement, going public. And now they, like us, are on a journey of living out those beliefs, of living into that faith. And we would be kidding ourselves if we said it all happens like that in most cases. It doesn't happen like that. But they continue on a journey as we are on a journey. Statements of faith have value. Appropriating that faith is how we connect with God, living according to their expressed faiths. In that faith, by that faith, is how a person taps into the grace of God with faith, we enter God's kingdom. With faith, the author of the book of Hebrews says, we please God. Through faith, we have eternal life. And yet, it's a journey. And it is a journey that we are all on in different ways, shapes, and forms. And the more honest we can be about those things, the more God can grow in us the faith that heals the faith that drives out demons, the faith that drives out untruth, 
the faith that drives out evil, the faith that brings about love, the faith that sees God as God really is, the faith that wells up when it, when it wells up within us a desire to follow in the steps and the way and the life of Jesus, a faith that resounds with praise for God, a faith that will last a lifetime, a faith that will get us from here to eternity. And that is a journey. In the words of Dallas Willard, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it is true. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something, truly believe, when we act as if it is true. By God's grace, may we continue to advance on that journey, being honest along the way. We do believe. Help us overcome our unbelief. We do believe. Help us, Lord, to overcome our unbelief. We absolutely believe. Help us to overcome our unbelief. Let's pray. God, for the gift of faith, we thank you. You are the giver of all gifts. You are shepherd. You are benefactor. You are provider. You are the one who plants the seeds of your truth and of your word that stimulated by your spirit can, do, have, will. Grow within your people faith for life, faith that overcomes death, faith that enters into your kingdom and ushers the world and your people into such. Give us that faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.